Fantastic. Just a wonderful evening. And tonight's the last night. If you haven't been able to attend, I would encourage you to come. And if you've already been, invite someone else. In fact, if you do invite someone, say, hey, this is the last night. I can get you tickets. Let them know it. You don't have to say what it costs you. But just let them know that you're doing something for them. But what a wonderful opportunity. And Chad and the crew and the kids were wonderful. I hope that you'll take advantage of it and um, come tonight and be praying for that as well. Also, speaking of praying... We've encouraged you over these last weeks to be praying about three things as we finish the year. And we said one is our year-end giving, including uh, our missionary giving. How many would like to know what's been given so far to the missions fund? Great, I'll tell you later in the service. <laughs> secondly, yeah, secondly, we've asked you to be praying about our senior pastor search. As God brings candidates, as we interview, continue to do that. Uh, we're excited about what he's doing, so continue to pray for the elders. Uh, if you have names, um, share it with one of the elders of people, and not just because it's your cousin, but someone who would be a, uh, a, a good candidate. So that's on your, your prayer list. And then the third one was, continue to pray for our Christmas opportunities. Christmas Eve is the second most heavily attended service of the year. I don't know if you knew that. And yes, people make their biannual tra trek to church, but that's okay. Uh, we have something for them, and I believe that God will be honored, so be praying about that, the series that we're in. I appreciate the feedback from many of you that uh, uh, God is using it in your life, and we encourage you to just uh, take advantage of this, this season. So if you'll be praying about those things. Also, I uh, wanted you to know that uh, some of you have asked Patricia and I about our um, newsletter, and this is, this is our Christmas one. You can get one on the back table. It also tells about our Cambodia trip if you're interested it's back there, so we'd be happy to uh, share that with you. Uh, how many here are wearing Christmas colors? All right, very good. You know, and we, some of you are voting for Christmas brown, I can see, and tan and whatever, but just checking each week, I'm wearing my Christmas blue. Actually, this is Hanukkah blue, right? I mean, after all, Jesus was Jewish, right? So was his mother. So were all the apostles, all the guys who wrote the New Testament. So it's okay, you can wear your Christmas blues as well. But this morning we are um, continuing in a series, talked about the promise of hope. And today we're talking about promises for your impossibilities. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, some of you at this Christmas time are facing, if not impossibilities, some high improbabilities. Uh, many challenges this time of year. And uh, if I were to say... Um, you know, even churches, many come to the end of their year and they're facing either financial struggles or big challenges and it just feels like an impossibility. So what do we do when we hit those situations? Because certainly we do throughout our lifetime. Difficulties, improbabilities or impossibilities. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at those who experience the impossible. What I mean by that is not that it ends up impossible for them, but God does the impossible. So I'd like you to turn with me if you would the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to follow up. Last week we began looking at the life of an elderly couple who weren't able to have children. And today we're going to look at the life of that magnificent young woman, that teenager, who had a child who wasn't supposed to. So let join me, if you would, as we look at Mary's life in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, 
a descendant of King David, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favor with God. We'll stop there for a moment. Now, we're well familiar with the story. But what we may not realize, this is a story of impossibilities. Or at least, well, it is impossible because that's what the angel announces. And who are those who experience God doing the impossible in their life? Well, the first one is very clear. Those who are favored by God. Said, Mary, you're favored by God. Those who are favored by God experience miracles. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's why I don't see many or any. <laughs> you know, because obviously I'm not favored by God. But it raises another question. Who are the favored? How many think God has favorites? Can I see your hands? How many don't really want to vote? Or answer that question. Well, let me answer this. Does God have favorites? Yes and no. Let me explain. I'm explaining the no first. The scriptures are very clear. One day that every person on this earth will stand before God and give an account of their life. I may not have known that. I may not have signed up for it. But we will all give. That's called the judgment seat of Christ. We'll stand before him and we'll give an account of our life. Everything we've done, thought, our motives, whatever it may be. And it says God will very impartially judge us according to what we've done, whether good or not so good. He doesn't play favorites there. The apostles will do it just the same as you and me, the great people throughout centuries. On the flip side of that, does God have favorites? Well, of course he does. How many here are grandparents? Okay, you're in a special elite group. You just need to know that. And then parents as well. Do we favor our kids? You bet. Well, we should. Why? Because they're ours and God gave them to us. Does God favor his own children? Absolutely. He does. How do we know that? In Ephesians chapter 1, we're told in the verses, first, uh, verses 3 through 6, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then it says, before the foundation of the earth, he adopted us to be his own children. He chose us to belong to him through Christ. And then verse 6, we're going to see in just a moment, says, He did this according to the riches of His kindness and grace. So what does it say? God has adopted billions of babies throughout the centuries. Why? Because He wanted to. He favored them. He favored them before He picked them. So God definitely has favorites. They are His children. Now the question is, what was the word used when God said, Mary, you are favored? He uses it twice. It's the same word used about you and me in Ephesians 1. If Christ is in you, you are in Christ, you're favored by God. Doesn't matter if you feel it, doesn't matter if you think it. God says you're favored. The exact same word, the Greek word for grace, charis, is used some cognates of that for Mary. Mary, you're favored, and so are all God's children. So if you're favored by God, you can anticipate miracles. Now, this same word is used for spiritual gifts. By the way, every gift, every good thing in your life is a Christmas gift because it comes from Christ, right? Because every good thing we have comes from God. Your spiritual giftedness. It's all Christmas gifts. It comes from God. And they come to you because you belong to Him. They are gifts of favor and grace. Have you thanked God for favoring you recently? Have you? Say, God, thank you so much for gracing my life, for favoring me. You know why? Why does he favor you? 
because of his choice, because of his nature. It's not because you're a cute baby or you pray more or you read the Bible more than somebody else. That's not why you're favored. Now, people who do read their Bible and pray probably enjoy their favor more than others because they know what God says about them and they're spending time with him. The one who favors them, so they're going to enjoy it more, but it doesn't mean you're more favored. Because when it comes down to it, God is the chooser. Now, tell the person sitting next to you, I'm favored by God. Go ahead, tell them that. Now, here's what I know. For some of you, that was hard. It wasn't just a fun little deal. It was hard. You know why? Because we really don't believe it. You see, because we think it must be earned and we know we don't deserve it. And you know what? You're right. None of us deserve it. Nobody here has lived a good life and that's why God favors you. Doesn't happen. Because favor and grace originate with God. Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth. It doesn't originate with you or me. He is grace. He is favor. He gives it. It's very nature, his being. It spills out wherever he is. And by the way, where is God? Yeah, he's omnipresent. Mm -hmm. That's who he is. In fact, it says here of Mary, it says, the Lord, she's blessed because the Lord is with her. It's the dominant reason for being blessed, the presence of God. And Mary, by the way, her name in the Old Testament is Miriam. In fact, the Greek word here is Mariam. Mary is caught off guard by this whole thing. An angel shows up, just like we saw last week. You know, you know, just, I mean, I know it's your local neighborhood angel, but you probably aren't used to talking to one every day. And so she's caught off guard here. And how would you and I handle an introduction like that? Favored one? By the way, we get that. How do we respond to the announcement of God's blessing and favoring us in Ephesians 1? See, we don't live in that every day. In fact, we walk away with it because of our performance instead of returning to it over and over. Now, here's the question. She also said, the angel says she's, she's a blessed one. What is the purpose of being favored or a blessing? If you've been around for a while, you'll know it's never just for us. God blesses you. He blesses me for the purpose of passing it on. And by the way, Mary isn't sure what to make of Gabriel's introduction. She's confused. She's disturbed. <laughs> Can you imagine why this little girl in her mid-teens has this announcement from an angel? She, now, the angel hasn't told her what it is yet. But I think it would be, yeah, rather disturbing. In fact, the scripture says here, rather confusing. And Mary's starting to process this whole thing. And we're going to see in verse 34, she asked the question. Well, how, when, when we get there, we'll ask that question. But Mary, unlike Zechariah, is not questioning at this point. God, she's asking, what is going on here? So first of all, we see that those who experience the miraculous are favored by God. The second thing is found in the next verses. That is, those who experience the miraculous turn their confusion and their impossibilities over to God. Say, well, where does that come from? Well, verse 34, after he makes the announcement, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now, what's interesting is that, folks, for us as humans, it's natural to believe our doubts. Have you ever noticed that? We instantly believe what we doubt. And we doubt what God promises. Have you ever thought about that? When you have a doubt, you already, you've already believed your doubt. That's why you're doubting. <laughs> Instead of doubting our doubts, we believe our doubts, 
And then we question God and what he says. Does that make sense? Some of you are looking like, no. But uh, you, you know where I'm going with that. Okay. But Mary doesn't do that. He assumes, she assumes God can handle her challenges. Now, skeptics automatically think there are no answers to their question. Have you ever figured that out? Skeptics assume they can ask a question of skepticism and there's no answer. Because their question is the answer to them. And folks, you and I live in a world like that. By the way, how rational are human beings? Not half as rational as we think we are. You see, most of what we say is logical and rational is nothing more than a consensus of what the culture teaches. You ever figured that out? Well, this is rational. Who says? Well, somebody must have. The, the, the educational and secondary education, media, political sectors, all support and preach that this, this, mo, this uh, uh, mantra, we are here as a result of time and chance processes. And you can't question that. In fact, if you start to question that and you apply for a job in secondary education teaching science, you cannot get hired because we're so open-minded. You can't question that. Isn't that amazing? And we say that's rational. You can't bring any other information in because we're rational and nobody else is. See, the idea of a personal maker is outside the realm of even possibility to them. Question, how much of our thinking is colored by the culture's dogma? Far more than we think. But you see, Mary is about to be introduced into an announcement that goes beyond any, anything the culture has the ability to grasp without supernatural assistance. And that's what limits man. If man does not tap into supernatural assistance, he's locked in a little box of what he calls rational. Now, the question is, when do you and I call on God for help, for clarification? When we face the highly improbable, if not the impossible. Patricia and I were in Orange County Monday and Tuesday, and uh, we, uh, she was speaking to a women's group down there, and, and I was with a friend who's the, uh, um, who's the CEO of Y Malawi, and we're talking about 2012 and our trips to Africa, Ethiopia, and Malawi. And, and he told me a story. He said, you know, when he had been to uh, Ethiopia earlier in the year, planning out this trip among the Awi people, and they know of one missionary in the whole region. They're basically an unreached people. And uh, this is a man and his wife from Georgia. They've been there 18 years, and they have four sons. And because there's no schools, there's nothing out there except a road, and they built this nice little home out there on this country road. It was just paved a few years ago. It was dirt road. And um, uh, she homeschools the four boys because that's the only option. Well, the oldest one is now 16, 17 years old. And one day she was teaching him, and he's saying, Mother, why, cannot, uh, why can't we know that no one, or nothing can travel faster than the speed of light? And she says, well, son, I, I really don't know. Well, why not, Mother? And he was going through some questioning in his life anyhow, and he became really agitated at his mother. Well, mother, I need some answers. You're, you know, you just can't say whatever. I need some answers. Where do you get those? And she went to bed that night very disturbed, saying, God, what do I do? I mean, how do I get information like this? I don't even understand the concept. And so she prays during the night, and the next day, um, about 10 in the morning, a group of bicycle riders comes by on this road now paved. It turns out they're a group riding from Cambridge, England, to Cape Town, South Africa. Has anybody tried that recently? Have you, have you looked at a map? 
And it was, a, it was a, a university group and a couple professors on their way on this bicycle club, riding all the way from England to South Africa. And so they said, can you have a drink? She welcomed them on in, and she started thinking, well, wait a minute, someone from Cambridge maybe could have some answers for my son. Well, not only did someone have an answers, there was a guy there who was one of the two men, the professors, the rest were students, who was an astrophysicist. Coincidence, right? Huh? Isn't it amazing how God has these coincidences happen? So not only she said, well, can you talk to my son a minute? He stays there for two hours, explains everything to this boy, to his complete satisfaction. And she says, God, if you can send a group of bicycle riders from Cambridge, England, with a university professor in astrophysics to my house within 24 hours of my prayer, you can do anything. They don't teach you that in university, folks. Because it's outside the little rational box of our own way of reasoning and thinking. We see something else in Mary's life. Those who experience the miraculous are also then called to join God's Son in His mission as their life focus. Now look at this. It says, Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Just your average baby, right? Just the ruler of the universe is going to be your baby. And all of a sudden, Mary is called to a cause much larger than her own personal fulfillment than her dreams ever could have imagined. Isn't it interesting? What the angel doesn't say, he says, you know, Mary, uh, what if you'd think this over a little bit? Would you consider being the mother of the Messiah? You go think about it a while and get back to me. He doesn't do that. He announces you will be. Now question particularly for a Western mind. Why doesn't God ask our opinion first? When he calls you and your life to a mission, why doesn't he say, would you think this over a little bit? Get back to me. See if you can work this in your schedule. Very un-Western what, what the angel's doing right here, right? I mean, this is un-American. Because he made us for himself and he knows best what's best for us because we don't. That's the reason. I don't care who we are. And only in doing what he's designed for us do we ever truly discover who we are or why we're here. Did you catch that? Only when I do what God asked me to do do I discover who I am. That's why there are people running all around, millions of them around this world, and especially America, trying to figure out in their 50s, 60s, and older who they are. They didn't do it God's way. I can find a young person who's in their 20s who starts to do it. God, they, they have a better understanding of who they are and why they're here. Because that's where it comes from. By the way, I, I feel for parents today. Too many parents are held hostage by their four or five or six-year-old or their 14, 15, and 16-year-old who announces to them what they're going to do. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. And not only that, because all the other kids are doing it. You know, my kids only tried that about once. Everybody else is doing it, as if that would impress me. Now, folks, I will tell you, I made a dump truck load of mistakes as a parent. But this is one area I didn't. No one announced what they were going to do. I don't care how old they were. 
They came to ask. And as they got older, I just didn't say no. I simply said this, is that what's best? But Dad, I want to do this. Every I, I didn't ask that. That's not the question. In fact, when your kids ask you questions you need to announce to them, that isn't the question. They're, not, they're asking pre-arranged questions in their favor. Have you ever noticed that, parents? So you must ask the right question. Say, that's not the question, what you want to do. The question is, what's best? See, that makes them nervous. Because innately, kids know when they're asking you and they're, they're working you. And if it doesn't work on you, they're going to go to your mate, you know, your husband, your wife. They're going to do the same thing all over, right? Yeah. And grandkids are even better at it than, than your kids. See, they know how to do this. And so you say, is that best? And then you let them stew over it. Say, so you go think about that. Pray over it and come back and tell me why it's better or why it's best. And God doesn't ask Mary's permission. But here's what he's saying. Mary, I want you on my team. And while other girls at Nazareth High were worried about what they were going to wear to the prom, or whether Tommy or Baruch liked them, God says, Mary, I have a mission for your life. You see, Mary had been called on a mission that was planned before the world began, before the world was made, that she would be the mother of Messiah, anointed the promised one who would rule the nation. And not only that, the future of the nation and the whole world was dependent on her response. A girl in her mid-teens. You see, this wasn't so much about Mary as her son. And the angel just gave her that quick cameo of his life, the king of the universe who will rule for eternity. I'm calling you to be his mother. You see, this is God's plan for Mary. It far ways, outweighs anything she could plan for herself or anybody else. See? And in that day, that the ultimate honor was to be the mother of the Messiah. But also with it, it carried an enormous responsibility that comes later as you go through the Gospels. It was not an easy deal. Mary had no idea what that could mean at this point. This marvelous young woman. But wait a minute, what about Mary's personal fulfillment? What about her career, her dreams? By the way, would this fly today? Talking to your average teenager, male or female, hey, this is what God wants you to do? Well, wait a minute. It probably wouldn't fly, it probably didn't fly as well in those days either. You see, but God was looking for someone who was willing to relegate, to relegate their dreams to second place. Their passion on what life's mission should be all about. God's looking for someone who's willing to relegate their own plans to second place. They're the ones who experience the miracles. You see? He does the miraculous in those who are committed to his mission before their own. Question, are you? Are you willing to have your own plans for your future interrupted so you can fulfill God's mission? I know what some are thinking, oh, I'm too old for that. No, no, no. You go through the Bible. How old was Moses? 80, when God showed up. And how old was Abraham? 75. You see, we don't get too old for God to interrupt our plans in our future. And we've got it all laid out real nicely, what we're going to be. We've got enough stashed away here. We've got this kind of home bought there. We've got all these plans. If God says, wait a minute, I'm going to interrupt that, how would you respond? 
Because God doesn't throw out miracles for personal consumption and satisfaction. He throws them out for the big picture for his plan. And that requires growth in every one of us here as a person. Am I willing to do what God asks? By the way, the reason sometimes we don't listen to God very closely, we don't want to hear what he might say. He may ask us to go outside of our little comfort zone. Is that true? Certainly true in my life. But that's also then next why God allow, brings the miraculous into those who allow him to stretch their paradigms from temporal to supernatural. What do I mean by that? Well, look, Mary asked the question, but how can this be? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God, the Creator, the Magnificent One. Now Mary's question was not like Zachariah's, was not unbelief, but it's, God, help me out on this one. The last time I checked, virgins don't have babies. That's what she's saying. And she also must have known that Joseph would not have been the father since they were engaged. And do you think she understood enough to know the Messiah could not have an earthly father? I don't know all that's going on here, but she must have somehow. She knew that the Messiah could not have an earthly origin from a father. The seed could not come from a man or he'd just be another man. And Mary's entering into realms that modern-day skeptics say can't exist. I mean, the Holy Spirit's going to produce conception? Sure. See, they don't teach this, folks, in family planning or anatomy class at the university level. This can't happen because our little box says it doesn't happen. And our culture prides itself in its own understanding of life, the world, and the universe. There's one serious problem with our own rational, logical thinking. When it omits God, it omits any possibility of the supernatural. And we live in a culture that is expressed by an anti-supernatural bias at the university level, at the political level, at the media level. Can't happen. We said it can't. You ever thought about that? It's exactly the world that you and I live in. And our culture prides itself in how we understand life and the world and the universe. But man's reason is flawed. His thinking is. Do you know why? It's anthropocentric. That is, man is at the center of the universe and his own understanding of how the universe runs, which is not very well, I might add. Maybe I could draw it because I know many of you came just for the art this morning. And uh, I don't know if you can see this, but Let's suppose, here's, now you can't draw God, right? So we're limited from the beginning. Let's suppose God's up here and he overarches everything. And here is his creation down here, mankind. And man says he's rational. Here's his thoughts right here. I, I'm rational, so this is, and right here, R for rational, or L for logical. We're logical because this is what we see. If we're looking here or we're looking this way, even if we look at both ways at the same, this is what we see, this is what we observe, this is what we've tested in the test tube, in the university lab. And so this is what exists. In fact, we've looked up here and we've even looked a little bit into the stars and we can see what, so, this, so we know and what man does is from his little bit of knowledge, he tells God what he can do and what he can't do. 
Now, they won't let me into universities anymore to, to, to point that out. I, 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 hey, I was able to get into junior colleges and colleges years ago, and I worked with students, and they just don't like you saying things like this after a while. And so the problem is, folks, God isn't locked into our opinion of him. And when Richard Dawkins and Stephen Hawking and people doubt there's a God, so they're looking through their own little beady eyes at what they can't see. And God is not defined by us. In fact, what God had to do is in the form of a baby, he had to come to this earth and turn off his cell phone and be born in a manger to tell us what he's like. That's what this is about. And Mary is being lifted into realms she doesn't even understand to say, Mary, you're the mother of someone you have no idea. Mary had some clues from her training and from her background. But she could not understand it all if she wanted. You see, folks, God's mission is not limited by mankind's understanding. And if he, if he says, you know, there are people out here who say it can't happen, he doesn't go to them. Did Jesus reach out to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? No, he can't do this. Did he reach out to the kings and the scholarly people of the day? No, they said it couldn't happen. So he goes to people and says, I believe God can do it. There's nothing different today. J.B. Phillips wrote a book years ago called Your God is Too Small. Would you like to know how we shrink God? Here's how we shrink God. We let circumstances control us and tell us what can happen. We say, this is what happened in the past. It must be happening in the future. Bad news, folks. We limit God by looking at circumstances first. We limit God when our security... I had a conversation with a dear brother here this morning. When our security is in what we have, what we've stashed away, what we've accomplished, or who we think we are, we just limit to God. Did you catch that? There's no such thing as security on this earth. I don't care how much you got stashed away. Your life could end this second if your heart stops. Is that security? I don't think so. When we give in to our fear, our bitter angry, become negative or critical. We've just told God what he can't do and we're so into ourselves. God's not going to do any miracles there. Got to release all that to him. When we get down on ourselves, oh, I did it again. We just, we've just gone, we've just become earthbound. I'm looking at me. Ever heard that statement? Look inside and you'll be depressed. Look all around, you'll be stressed. You look to Christ and you'll find rest. How about this? When we give up on prayer about anything, well, that marriage, my marriage isn't going to change. Those kids have gone haywire, whatever. You know what? We quit praying. We just limit to God. You see? And how about, you know what? I've discovered most Americans right now, believers of a certain party, we won't mention any, but it starts with an R, aren't praying about the next election. They don't even pray at all. As if God doesn't get involved. I go to Isaiah 40. It says he puts in one ruler. He takes another one out. If you didn't like the last one, ask him to put another one in. I'm not telling you how to vote. Well, if you ask me, I would tell you, but I'm not going to tell you. What are you praying about? Because we've said God can't do it. If I'm not praying about it, God can't do it. So we shrink God all the time without even knowing. Did I mention there's two kinds of miracles? I didn't yet. We've alluded to them. The first kind is the miracle of 
circumstances. That's the one we like. You know, part the Red Sea, walk on water, turn water into wine, heal the sick. Those kinds that involve circumstances, and Jesus did those in spades. You find them all throughout the scripture. And those are important. They demonstrate God's power. But there's a second kind usually overlooked. And those are miracles of the heart, the inward miracles. Guess which one is God's higher priority? Circumstances or the heart? Always the heart. It's just that we get our priorities upside down. You see? God will do, and he uses our faith. In fact, it says he could do no matter, in his own hometown, he couldn't do any works in Nazareth. Why? It's because they didn't have faith. But he says, if you believe, you will see. There's truth in that. However, some things, sometimes, God doesn't heal. Sometimes God doesn't open doors. Sometimes God doesn't change our circumstances. And sometimes God says no to certain prayer. Or at least wait. Why? We'll miss it until we understand he's got a higher priority. And that is to change the heart. Did people believe because the miracles? Did we go over that? Takes his children to the Red Sea. They get through that. Then they get out. Where's food? Well, what about the last miracle? I don't care about that. I just want this one. No, no. We don't believe because of miracles. Until God changes the heart. So his higher priority is the heart. You see, if God says no, he has a higher priority in mind for your life. And he wants a pure and holy bride. How does he get a pure and holy bride? He doesn't give us what we want. God will bring pain and suffering into the life of a believer. You see, that's where we start to tend toward wanting to do it his way. Have you ever noticed how that works? And suffering accomplishes in fact, few things have the potential to be used by God for in, in effective internal change with amazing external ramifications as pain and suffering. If we'll turn to him in the midst of our pain. And then what happens, what does God do? You see, and when we come to the place we can say, God, change me, even if you don't change my circumstances, you are entering into the miraculous now. Did you catch that? Say, God, even if you don't change my circumstances, if you will change me, you've just entered into the miraculous because you need the Holy Spirit to be able to say that. You see? And whenever God changes a heart, an attitude, or a relationship, or he answers prayer, you have a miracle. Let me say that again. Whenever God changes a heart, an attitude, a relationship, or answers prayer, you have a miracle. Whenever God produces new birth, that's the change in fact, there isn't one of us here who would swap new birth, which is an eternal relationship, with any other kind of miracle. I wouldn't. You can change water, whatever it means. You can give me a gazillion dollars. Uh-uh. I want the new birth that comes from a miraculous touching of my heart by his work. Now, God also knows along the way to help our faith with that concept. He knows we need encouragement. And that's why the miraculous is experienced by those who personally, or receive personally God's precedent in others. So we say, well, what's that about? Look at verse 36. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren. But she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. You thought that was about Mary having a baby. That's not about, that's about Elizabeth having the baby. 
She's too old to have a baby. But with God, it's nothing is impossible. It's also true of Mary's. But that's where it comes from. Now, why do you think the angel brings up Elizabeth here? She says relative, maybe she's a cousin. I, you know, we're not really sure what she was. Because he knows that Mary's faith is going to need a boost. If not now, in the future. Because all of Mary's life, when this baby's born, she's going to hear one thing. This baby is what? Illegitimate. Did you know they said that to Jesus on, when he was taken to the very end of his life? You're illegitimate. Because virgins don't have babies. And everybody knew she wasn't married at the time. And so God knows she's going to need, her faith's going to need a boost. And by the way, we tend to think as people, well, my condition is different than everybody else. Nobody knows what I'm going through because what happens to us folk, and the more we believe that, what is that called? Victimization. See, we become victims. Well, nobody else has been through this but me. And what I'm going through right now, I can't even really tell anybody because nobody else understands. And God says, O'Reilly. Remember the O'Reilly factor? God says, uh-huh. Well, he says, I want you to go check out your cousin Liz, because she's going to have a baby too. And everybody said she was over the hill and it couldn't be done. It was impossible. And plus, while Mary was there, just think what was going to happen. They spoke the same language. Womanese. And they spoke about to be motherese. And they understood each other. And no guy's going to understand him right now. You see? And also, folks, here's what the point is. What God wants to do in you and through you, he's already done in somebody else, or he's doing it right now, who's in a similar situation to what you are going through right now. And you're like, oh, I'm the only one, God. Nobody can understand what I'm going through. Nobody's been in this condition. God says, what? Oh, really? You're getting it, Yes. He says, oh, really? He says, I want you to read the Bible. That's another reason you want to read history, folks. Because if you can't find somebody, keep your ears open, your eyes open for people around. If you can't find them, read history. Read the scripture. That's why I feel so, our kids have lost. Because they have no clue about history. And they think what's happening today has never happened before. And what do they say? For those who don't understand history, we're bound to what? Repeat it. Yeah, it can happen. And it's not good what's repeated. And amazingly, Mary responds. You see, those who experience the miraculous also yield then to heaven's promises and plan. Verse 37, what does Mary say? Verse 37 says, nothing's impossible with God. Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. The angel left her. There was no one else to reinforce it now. Who would believe she saw an angel? But she says, you know what? God had promised... And Christmas was promised, and in the entire Christmas story, everybody in there is a recipient of some promise. Just go read it and see what happens. And Mary's whole future is based on a promise. But Mary's secret was this. It's a secret for you and me. Her heart yielded to the promise of God. Okay, I don't understand it all. I don't get it. But may it be done to me as you said. That means I'm in. I'm in on this, God. But you see, that's why God picked Mary out of all the other young women. Did she understand it all? No, she couldn't have. But I believe she was saying, God, I don't understand it all, but I will defer to you. I will trust you. I will trust your wisdom. I will trust your grace. I will trust your goodness. 
in this whole deal. Question. What could God ask you and me that's highly improbable or even impossible that's not first on our list that we would say, okay, God, I'm in? I mentioned before the young woman we heard earlier in the year who speaks all around as a Bible teacher from Australia, and she's heard that she went to Eastern Europe and discovered the sex slave trade there. And she says, cancel what I'm doing. I'm going to do something about this. And her friends, everybody begged her and her husband, this is dangerous. You can get killed. This is the Russian mafia. She said, wait a minute. When I followed Jesus, he didn't say, follow me until you run into the Russian mafia. Or because you have an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old, you can quit that. She said, he said, follow him. That's what I'm doing. I'm all in. And I told you about Pastor Chu from China last week and many others. By the way, I just read this this week, and I'm still disturbed by it. What percentage of people in a nursing home get visited in America, in Southern California, in this area? other than a normal church group that shows up somewhere for a Bible study or something. You know what percentage get visited? Ever? 15%. They live all around us, folks. A neglected people group. God wants us to do something about that. And you see, the more we have to trust, the more we have to depend, the more we will see the miracles. But the more that we have temporal security, satisfaction, and comfort... Guaranteed you won't see them. Because God says they're already satisfied. I can't do any miracles there. And that's why then we need to anticipate the confirmation of promises. Look at this. It says, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? And when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed, get this, because you believed the Lord would do what he said. Is that remarkable? You see, God had sent, encouraged Mary to go to Elizabeth as a divine appointment for confirmation. You see, even when God does, we need confirmation because we tend to waver. I do. And we all need confirmation of God's work, especially in hard times. The baby jumps, which is what the angel had told uh, uh, Zechariah, that your baby, the son will be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. He fulfills that prophecy. But here's a question. Who told Elizabeth about Mary's baby being from God and that she'd be blessed above all women? Who told her that? Folks, they weren't texting in those days. There was no email to go out. The only way Elizabeth could have known is what? God had to tell her, because this is a pregnant teenager, and she doesn't have a husband. And she could have said, honey, you've got what's happening to you? By the way, what percentage of babies are born to single moms in America right now? 65% of all babies. It's higher than that in some of the major cities. God has work to do in our country, don't you think? We need to help our young people. 
Have you ever had confirmation when God's asked you to step out and do the improbable? One of the greatest times of peace in my life is after we made the decision to leave the pastorate and do full-time our global training of leaders. <laughs> and I was at 35,000 feet in an airplane. And I was flooded with the greatest peace I had known in decades. God just saying, do it. I said, we're doing it. You know how much money we had pledged to be missionaries? Nada. Zip. Nothing. I knew it had to be of God because I, that didn't, my, didn't match my numbers. God, I expected, you know, the, to be a little bit higher than nothing. And then another time when we're facing similar situations, there's a tough decision. And I, it was not the secure thing to do. And I, I was struggling. But I said, God, I really believe you want me to do this. And I'm, I'm giving up some security to do it. It was neat. Two days later, I got an email that just confirmed that decision. Totally shocking me. It wasn't a group of bicyclers coming by, but it could have been. You see, God knows during times, He doesn't leave us hanging like a dangling participle. You see? And that's why finally, Mary demonstrates we can praise God before He fulfills the promises. The last part is Mary's Magnificat, the incredible song of Mary. I just want to read it to you real briefly. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done a tremendous thing. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. By the way, you know what that is? Little Mary's Magnificat, this song, is not just the, the cry of a peasant girl for what she's done. This is a strong political statement. Any first century Jew knows what she's doing. She is attacking the rulers of her nation and of the world. And saying, you're not in control. This is a political statement. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors. What promise? The one she just got. It's been around. She knows it. To Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and went back to her own home. See, Mary's Magnificat is God's triumph. The forgotten have been remembered. The, the political leaders of the world will be humbled. And this is an expression of faith, that God keeps his promises. Now, folks, anybody can thank God or praise him after the fact. This is before the baby's born. This is before anybody knows exactly what's going to happen. I had to learn the hard way to praise God beforehand. To start with a promise and start praising. Not for what's going to happen, but to praise God for who he is. I told you I went through a seven-year depression. Because I'm a slow learner. But Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That's not a suggestion, that's a command. And he said, it's no problem for me to remind you of this, and it's a safeguard for you. Do you know why, folks? It's the only thing that's going to keep you above the horizon by looking up continuously to God at work 
instead of our circumstances. That's why it's commanded. And not only that, it's the front door to the miraculous. In Isaiah 54, 1, you've heard me share this many times. Rejoice, O barren woman, Israel, because you who do not have children and who do not even have a husband are going to have more children than the woman who has a husband. How does that work? Is that rational? I don't think so. And so what is she saying? God says, start praising him now in your barrenness. In the areas where it's not happening. And what does he say to praise him for? For the barrenness? Not at all. He doesn't, say, she, he doesn't say praise him for. He says praise him in it. Meaning, God, these circumstances stink. But I praise you because you're bigger. God, this hurts. I don't like the way the world and my life is going, but I'm going to praise you because you're in control and I'm not. And you're at work where I can't see you, God. And today, God, I don't like the things and the people around me, the way it's going, but you know what, God? I'm going to praise you. And I will continue to praise you until you come back to this earth because you told me to. You know what happens? Your life begins to rise above all the schmuck. You begin to see in a new way. He gives you new eyes and new ears and new receptors. And you begin to rise above circumstances. You're no longer bitter and dejected and all those kinds of things or just depressed and going to give up because you're looking above it. Does it make sense? Hello? No. But we've moved out of man's rationality. He says, I'm happy when I go to Disneyland. It's a happy place. And when circumstances turn around, I'm going to be happy again. And God says, you missed it. He says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I don't think the way you do. He says, my promises are above everything else. They control the universe. My thoughts, my observations don't. Where are we looking? When you begin to praise God for his nature, God, I see great injustice, but you're the holy one. And one day every knee is going to bow before you and confess Jesus is Lord. And there's going to be justice in this universe. And those people who hurt me, you'll handle that one. I don't have to. And I can release this bitterness. And God, I've been afraid of what could happen over here if I don't have enough stashed away. But I praise you that you're going to take care of me because your promises say so. And you'll even give me wisdom on how to manage things well. And so you praise him for who he is, not for the circumstances. And God begins to do a miraculous work. And he says, if your heart is breaking, praise him that he knows how to handle broken hearts. Why? Because we know he has, he is, and he will win in all of history. He will reign forever and ever, and it's all about his life, not ours. And he's going to rise us to his level, even if I don't understand what's going on right now. And even if it hurts me all the way till the end, I can praise him, because he's going to keep his promises. That also means... I can answer the final question. How will I put myself in the place where God can unleash his miraculous in me? Will I agree that I'm favored? Will I take my confusion to him? Will I accept his call to join his mission? Will I allow him to stretch my thinking from earthly to supernatural? Will I receive his precedent and others, what he's done in history, he's doing now? Will I yield to heaven's promises and his plan instead of my own? Will I anticipate confirmation and will I begin to praise him before it's fulfilled? It's our choice. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your amazing favor grace. You sent your son to embody it for us. And we don't understand it all. And Father, I want to confess today my limited view of you. How easy it is to see circumstances instead of you. How easy it is to complain instead of praise. How easy to fear and to doubt and become bitter and critical when praising would lift me to become the person I've always dreamed of being. Someone who lives above the horizon. Someone who lives above circumstances and begins to enter into the heavenlies. Giving meaning and direction to our circumstances. What's the Spirit of God said to you this morning? Do you know you're favored? If you're not sure, why not go to Him? If you're not sure Christ is in your life, then make sure this morning by inviting Him to come in. That's why He came at Christmas, to forgive His people from their sins. But the greatest sin is thinking we can handle life on our own. Say, God, forgive me, and I want you in my life, Jesus. We invite him into your confusion. And how about saying, God, I don't understand all these promises, but I want to yield to you from now on. I want to invest my life in things eternal and supernatural. And dear friends, God has blessed us so much with material benefits. You know what? Thank him for that. Thank him for everything you have. And thank him that he gave you the ability to earn it, to make it. But he also gave it to you to share with a world desperate for him, hurting, right here in Southern California, in America, as well as the inordinate pain worldwide. And just as he came to Mary and said, you're favored you're a woman blessed above all others. She would be a blessing to the world around her. And God has designed you to be a blessing to your world. Even to people that don't seem to naturally fit into your circle. He's called you to touch them. You say, Jesus, here I am. Give me the courage to step out with you to realize that the inward miracle is greater in your priority book than the external. And now as we bring him our gifts, thank him for being so generous with us. We live in America, the top 10% of the world's income, regardless of how much you make. And say, Father, we ask you to use these gifts. Bless your people. Make us a blessing to our world. We ask in Jesus' strong name. And everyone said, amen. I hope tonight you'll take advantage of Christmas Cafe. If you haven't been, invite someone to come. And oh, yes, would you like to know what the giving is so far to missions? 
This is over and above. The rest, it's, we're right about $16,000. And we still have a couple of Sundays to go. So let's keep praying for the missions giving. Yeah, let's give God a hand for that one. And also, uh, continue to pray for those other things we've talked about. Let me pray for you. Father, thanks for your goodness to us, for sending your Son, our ultimate gift. Use us to bless the world around us as we go. Bless your people, I ask in Christ's name and all God's family said. God bless you. Greet two or three on the way out that you haven't met. Have a wonderful morning.